Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. For the past couple of weeks, we've been asking the question, how do I encounter God? One of the ways that we've done that is that we've looked at key characters in the Bible, namely the Old Testament, the Bible that Jesus would have read, and looked at how they encountered God and then drew some principles out from that. And so this morning we look at Elijah, one of the great prophets of Israel. I prefer to call him the Bridget Jones of Israel. Because if you know a bit of Elijah's story, we'll tell you about his story in a second. Uh, He basically ends up on the couch in his pyjamas, eating ice cream, crying at the fact that he's crying. (laughs) Right? He's he's in a bad spot, the poor guy. And really, uh, this passage, when we look at the various encounters that we've looked at, uh, whether it be the way that Jacob wrestled with God, whether it was the way that Job wanted to question God, whether the way uh, that we saw last week through him, that Isaiah had a vision from God. This morning helps us ask the question, what do you want to do? Or what do you do when, when you're in such, a, such an exhausted state, such a sad state, such a depressed state, that you don't even want to want an encounter with God? I mean, haven't, haven't you ever noticed with people who have been in those situations, family member, a spouse, a friend, maybe you've been in there, ever been in that situation where life is so tough and you are in such a state that you almost find yourself crying at the fact that you're crying? What's, what's, what's the issue there when you're dealing with a person like that? Now, when you see a person like that, you can probably think of a hundred issues that they've got to deal with. No, but what is the real issue? The real issue is not the hundred issues that they've got to deal with. The issue is, how do I get through to them? How do, how do I break through all of the cloud of darkness and sadness that they're in so they can begin to see what is really going on here? And what that shows us, and we'll see that in Elijah, is that sometimes, we've talked about wrestling with God and questioning God, but sometimes the greatest challenge in, an, in a God encounter is really... Not how do I get through to God, but how does he get through to me? Particularly if you're that person wondering, do I even want to want God? And so that's why we come to the Bridget Jones of the Bible here, Elijah. It's what I love about Elijah, by the way. He's one of the few characters in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, that you can relate to. He's quite real. Anyone ever had moments in life where you're deeply sad, when you're exhausted, when you're just done with the whole church thing? This is, a, this is a guy that is real and, and the story sort of climaxes with him under a tree singing Eric Carmen's All By Myself. <laughs> Don't want to be... Okay, I won't go there. <laughs> Certain gifts. Singing all by myself. He's there by myself. I'm the last one left in Israel. There's no one else. He's quite down on himself. But there's a reason that he's gotten there and this is a story of Hollywood proportions. What I also like about Elijah is that he does what we would have do. He's, re- he's relatable. If Here's the question. The question is, whose God is the biggest and the baddest back then? And so he, he does what maybe you and I would want to do. If you want to prove if the, your God is the biggest and baddest, he goes out and he, he rents a stage with seven sunrise in the middle of Martin Place. And he's been trying to tell this evil king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel uh, that his God, the God of Israel, the God that should be Ahab's God is the God who is greatest, not this Baal God that they've installed into their systems of worship. This was a travesty for Israel. And Elijah's speaking against that and he says, we're going to have it out once and for all. Let's get in the Martin place. 
Let's get on sunrise. Let's get Melancholy, a little bit of media time. And we're going to have it out. And so we're going to build two altars. And you, you prophets of Baal, all 450 of you over there on that side, you have your altar. And then I'm going to have my altar over here, lonely Elijah, all by himself. And he says, all right, pray to your God. Let's see what happens. And so the prophets of Baal start incantations and prayer and, and it, it just it's going on and on and on and it hits midday and they're, they're still doing it and they're starting to cut themselves they're so fervent now as was the case in, in, in eastern religions back then and they're, they're, they're working up a sweat they're getting fervent and Elijah does what we would do he starts taunting them he says where's your God where is he uh, what's happened has he gone on vacation? Which actually, when you look at, when you look at the underlying language, uh, the word there actually means, has he gone to the toilet? Has he gone to loo? <laughs> right? So he's, he's, he's doing the taunt that we would. Your God's a poo-poo. <laughs> a very human sort of guy. And then, then nothing's happened. And said, all right, enough's enough. I'm going to pray to my God. And he, he prays. The minute he lifts his eyes up to the sky, woof, this, this column of fire comes down on the altar and it begins to consume the, the wood and the sacrifice. And then even the rocks around it get consumed. And, and everyone is so amazed that they fall prostrate to the ground. They just lie on their stomachs and say, this God must be the God of Israel. Right? Everyone's seen it, by the way, too. Center stage, Martin Place. Now, you would think that would have done the job, right? No. And ironically, uh, Elijah starts to run off to, from Mount Carmel up in the north of Israel across to Jezreel, which was actually the capital of, of Ahab and Jezebel. It was the capital. So here's the question. Why would he run all the way across from Mount Carmel to Jezreel? Why would he do something like that when he knows that the Jezebel and Ahab are so angry at him? And here's, here's why. He thinks that because of this incident here in Martin Place, everyone will now believe in God. He's that confident. Right? That he gets halfway there, and then we read that he starts fleeing to the other end of the country. Because Jezebel says, that's it. It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't quell her, it doesn't convert her. In fact, it just, it just winds her up even more. And she says, if I, if I see Elijah, right, he's gone. And so he runs to the other side of the country, he runs from, from up around Mount Carmel all the way down to Beersheba, it says, in the, that's the southernmost point of Israel. So here we have a situation where he's literally gone, gone from Hornsby down to Cronulla, which we know is like the ends of the earth down there, don't we? Down in the Shire, right? If, if we're going to run away, we run away to Cronulla, don't, don't we, church? <laughs> now that, that is the ends of the earth. And he runs to Cronulla and, uh, and he finds himself out in the desert and he's under a tree. And that's where we see this situation where he says, under the tree, I pray. He says, he comes to the bush and he said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What do you do when you want to encounter God, but you don't even feel like it? And ironically, he... He keeps running. He runs to a mountain called Horeb. We're going to look at the significance of that name in a second. But the one thing that he does do is he keeps running towards the mountain. And there he has his encounter with God. Ready for what we're going to learn? What do we learn from this? Here's the first thing that we learn from this fascinating Hollywood. It could be a movie, couldn't it? Hollywood style story. Um, here's what we learn from the, the story. Sometimes the biggest challenge is not how you get through to God, but how he gets through to you. 
We see there in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Why does he leave his servant there? He was a prophet. What's he doing? He's getting rid of his staff. What Elijah's saying is, I'm out. I'm out of the ministry. I'm done. My life's over. My job's over. And so he, he, he throws the staff out, gets, gets rid of them. Uh, and so here is a man who is in absolute despair. He comes to the broom bush. He lays down under the tree. He falls asleep. And so what we see is a man who is cracking in despair. Now, some people think this is bad editing by the biblical writers. Now, how can Elijah have gone from this, this Martin Place victory of everyone understands that his God is the God, not Baal, the God of all things, and now he is in, let's be real here, in a suicidal state of depression. One of the most real characters of the Bible in fact, this is, this is one of the great proofs that we're talking about a real God and a real book for me. If this is just a book of wisdom and a book of pithy sayings, why would it include one of its great heroes in a state of suicidal depression? Because I, here's why. I think it's here to show us the manifold wisdom of the God that Christians worship. And here he is in this darkest of point in his life. And when, what does God do? What is, how does God minister to him? What, is, what does God do to Elijah in that moment when he's like that? The first thing he does is he sends an angel. But what does the angel do? Does the angel come and say to him, fear not? No. Does the angel come in and say, oh, I bring you good tidings from the Lord? No. Does the angel come in and say, repent? No. Does the angel come in and say, look, do you want to talk about it? No, here's what the angel first does. The first thing that God does through the angel is he bakes him a cake. Bakes him a cake. You know what sort of cake it was? Angel food cake. Oh, see, got in there. Haven't done a dad joke in a while. But in all seriousness, if that's you, and this is Sydney... This is a church of a couple hundred people. That may be you this morning. I want you to get this first. Maybe this is the only point of this entire message that you get. And it's this, that sometimes the most important thing that you can do spiritually when you want to encounter God is just to lie down and have a sleep and a snack. Can you see the manifold wisdom of God here? That he caters to Elijah's physical needs. That, that he just says, get down, Elijah, have, have a sleep, have a bit of cake. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, a UK minister, said this in one of his sermons about Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the great Baptist preachers. He says this, that great man was subject to spiritual depression. And the main explanation in his case was undoubtedly the fact that he suffered from a gouty condition which finally killed him. And there are many in whose case it seems quite clear to me that the cause of the trouble is mainly physical. Into this group, speaking generally, you can put tiredness, overstrain, illness, any form of illness. The greatest and the best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. And there are great illustrations we see in the scriptures, obviously referring to Elijah. Here's what he says. If you recognize, however, that the physical may be partly responsible for your spiritual condition and make allowances for that, you will always be able to better deal with the spiritual. 
You know what it means? It's, it's the first, here's what it means. The first thing is, if, maybe if you're going through this, but if you're not going through this, here's for us as a church, right, church? It means that we don't do the first thing that a lot of Christians do in moments when they have someone like that in their connect group or their family or a friend, that we don't do this. We don't go in and say, oh, well, it's obviously a spiritual issue. We go in and say, we don't go in and say, oh, this must be a lack of faith. We don't go through the troubleshooting list. You know the troubleshooting list that Christians do? You know, oh, okay, okay, Elijah, have you prayed in faith? Have you confessed all known sin? Have you claimed the promises? Have you rebuked the devil? <sighs> have you pleaded the blood? Have you thanked God? You know, all that sort of stuff. <sighs> I'm not saying that that's not legit, but what I'm saying is that is the worst thing to do to a friend or a brother or sister who is in this state. The best way that you could minister to someone who is down in a dark place and practically with depression is you just meet their basic needs. And let's spin this out. It's because we're relational beings. Uh, we, we want, sometimes we just need touch. Sometimes we just need proximity. We're creative beings. Sometimes we've just got to listen to a piece of beautiful music. Sometimes we've got to read a book. Which, by the way, a fiction book, not a, not a non-fiction book on the five steps to how to get out of spiritual despondency, right? <laughs> Sometimes we just need our basic needs, needs met. How do you encounter God? Sometimes it's intellectual. Sometimes it's moral. Sometimes you want information. Sometimes it's a combination of these things. But sometimes you are just tired and worn out. And that's okay. What does God say then? Just lie down. Have a sleep, eat a bit of cake. <laughs> so that is, that is the first point. It's very practical. It's, in, it's earthy teaching, isn't it, from the Old Testament? And I've got a side note here pastorally too. If you are going through that, if you are, if you are struggling with depression, if, if there is thoughts and anxieties, that that's, what, that's what your pastoral team is here for. You don't need a sermon this morning. You need, you need to be in the family. You need to talk to one of the ministers. You need to talk to Helen Solomon. You need to talk to part of the family. You don't need a sermon. You just need that point. And you can let the next 15 minutes just wash over you. So the first thing is God's got to be able to get through to you. The second thing that we see from Elijah's story is this, that your encounter will be your encounter. Your encounter will be your encounter. Here's what I mean by this. Like, here's not how to do this series, by the way. This is not how you do this series. I, I want to encounter God. So therefore, I've got to go wrestle with him like Jacob. And then I'm going to have to suffer like Job. And then I might progress through into, into the, the, the vision like we saw with Isaiah. And, and, and then I'm going to do it a lot. That's not how you do this series, by the way. <laughs> right? Why does Elijah go to Horeb? Now, it's a funny name, but you might know the real name for this mountain, or the other name for this mountain, the other name for the mountain is Sinai. He goes to Mount Sinai. Now, that sounding familiar class, like that is even further on beyond the south boundaries of Israel. Mount Sinai is where Moses went hundreds of years before to encounter God. What I love about Elijah is he does a very healthy thing. And it's a principle we see all the, all the time with people who just need to get God. Here's what he did. He said, if I'm so confused as to why God has let me down in all of this, I'm just going to get to the place that he guarantees his experience will be there. And we all know where that place is, by the way, in the modern context. Hillsong Conference. <laughs> right? Right? Or, or if you're a non-Christian, you know, it's, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church. 
God must be there. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mucking around with that fact. I, I think it's a, it's a really good principle, but um, it's, it's a two-sided coin. You see, on one hand, the heart is right 90%. Look, if you just get to the place where you know there is the best possible context to encounter God... Just get yourself there. Uh, Elijah knew that there was a better chance on Sinai to encounter God, just as Kirsty had said in the worship before, don't waste this opportunity. There is no better opportunity in this, in this week than in the next 10 minutes to encounter God. There is a far better opportunity now than when your phone is ringing at your open plan desk tomorrow at 9.45am. Right? Get to the place where you know that, you, that God's been there, he's shown up, and I'm just going to wait for him. But look at the amazing parallels in all of this. Because it's what you're expecting out of that encounter that could surprise you. Because uh, centuries before, Moses is in the desert for 40 days. The same desert that Elijah's in. Moses feels like he's the only person in Israel that's listening to God at the time. Elijah felt that he was the only person in Israel that was listening to God at the time. Moses goes up the mountain. Elijah goes up the mountain. Moses gets up to that point to a cave and asks to see God. And God passes by him. God says, Moses, get into the cleft of the rock and I will pass by. And so now here we have Years later, almost exactly the same situation. Come to verse 11 with me in chapter 19. It said, The Lord said, Go out, stand on the mountain. This is the same mountain that Moses was on. In the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It's a replay of what's happened with Moses. And he goes out. And we then read, after, the, after he goes out there, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The translation, Damiyim has already nicked it. You know the translation of this? It was the sound of silence. For real. The sound of silence. Moses goes up. Can you see this? Moses goes up. He gets fire. Elijah goes up. He gets a whisper, the sound of silence. Your encounter will be your encounter. You see it in the New Testament. You see in John chapter 11 where Jesus' best friend Lazarus dies. Jesus is four days late. He gets down uh, to, to the village there in Bethany. And Mary comes out. She is inconsolable. If only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What does Jesus do? He cries. He then walks down towards the tomb. Uh, Martha, the sister, comes out. If only you had have been here, Jesus, my, my brother wouldn't have died. And what does he say? I am the resurrection and the life. He goes down there. Mary comes out. Same context, same experience. She gets tears. Martha goes out. She gets a lecture. Why? Your encounter will be your encounter. Now, what this means for you is if you've come into this place this morning... And you're an Elijah and life is just killing you at the moment. You know, you've been sitting there and there's someone next to you that's just one of those happy-go-lucky Christians. They've been waving their hands in your face all morning in worship. <laughs> you know, that's put you off so much, you've probably missed half the sermon up until about this point. They just get your hands out of my face, Right? Or you're the person that's come in and everyone looks like they're so smiley and happy, but you're angry at God. That's an encounter. And in fact, can I say, if you are the wavy hand type, as I was this morning, because I'm in a good zone, um, that's an encounter too. That's your encounter. 
That's their encounter. Your encounter will be your encounter. You don't do it like Jacob. You don't do it like Job. You don't do it like Isaiah. You don't do it like Elijah. God has an encounter designed for you. And here is why. It's because we are all different. We see this incredible diversity of his manifestations in this place. What does it mean? It means same situations, different encounters. Don't be put off if God is if someone is experiencing God differently from you. Don't be put off if you don't feel him and it feels like the person next to you is on fire. Your encounter is your encounter. Different hearts, here at his church, need different things from the riches of God's glory. Different things. Some of you, because of who you are, because of what you need, because of your situation, your experience, even your temperament, even your culture. All of these things mean that the beauty of this God is he will custom design an encounter to get through with you. Your encounter is your encounter. I'm going to wrap this up, so I'll keep the third point short. Here it is. It's real easy. Is that making sense? Uh, Here's the third one. It's not the Mount Carmel moments that change people's lives. It's not the Mount Carmel moments that change people's lives. Elijah's running out here, had this experience, really depressed. What is God saying when he brings an earthquake and the wind and the fire by? Elijah, and this is what I love about him in that moment. See how he's rested? See how he's had some time to speak to God, which was a whole other sermon, by the way. I had to skip it for your sake in case the air conditioning broke down. What I love about it, you know how God asked him three times, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here? Let me just give you the summary of what that whole sermon was going to be. God never asks you a question for his benefit. <laughs> you think God turned up and go, oh, Elijah's here. I didn't know that. Well, let me get a towel around me. You know, <laughs> you surprised me. Whoa. <laughs> it's not for God's benefit. It's for Elijah's benefit. What are you doing? It was a counseling session. And so this, what is the still small voice coming in here and saying, first of all, it's saying, God is saying, Mount Carmel's not the way to go. Remember from the story, church, why is Elijah despondent? Why is he running for his life? Because even though the fire came down in the middle of Martin Place and a bunch of people fell down and said that he's God, not everyone in Israel did. And he said, the fire doesn't change people. And that leads us to the next point. What changes people? His still small voice. What it means for you and I, in a practical sense, is it's his word. How often do you and I, when we're desperate for a God encounter, go to this dry thing, the pages, the thing that we feel we have to do? Oh, we've got to go to the Word. Look, God might work in those Mount Carmel moments, but it's not often how he does it. What it means is, look, you're not really going to know God if you work like this with him. You know what, Lord, if I'm going to pray today, and you know what, if you healed my hip today, then I'll really know you're there. Or, Lord, okay, I'm going out, I'm going to have an encounter with you, and I'm going to pray, and if two clouds sort of just co-align to make a love heart, even just for a bit of a second, that's how I'm, not going, to, I'm going to know you're there. <laughs> or if I, if I pray that I'm going to have a spiritual shotgun, and I'll just open up the Bible, and I give a verse that really speaks to my heart, then I know you're there. <laughs> he doesn't work in those. He can, but he often doesn't. You've got to get in and to hear his still, small voice. Look, let's wrap this up. Guys, we've, we've spent three weeks looking, looking at what, you've, what you do to encounter God or what people have done to encounter God. And in fact, um, next week we're going to have a capstone message on some real earthy principles in terms of, if you still want to know, well, how do I do this? 
Um, there's just some great stuff that I want to share next week about that as we finish off this series. But here is simply the question that I want to ask you this morning. Is for you this morning, when we look about encountering God, the question is this, what does God have to do to get through to you? We spent so much time and so much energy that it could almost be prophets of Baal-like, right? Have you ever been like that in your spiritual life? Where you get so fervent with your attendance, get so fervent that you're, you're just working yourself up into a lather. And look at how it worked for Elijah. It was a prayer. God works. You need to know this is a God who wants to be known, by the way. He doesn't run behind the columns here in the church when you want to go and encounter him. He wants to be known. So it means you don't have to go chasing him down like a prophet of Baal. Maybe just maybe the big issue about a God encounter is that there's something with you that hasn't been opened to him. It's tough for him to get through to you. And very practically, it might mean this morning, are you tired? Are you worn out? Just have a sleep and a snack. Or you're getting so frustrated that everyone else is all in this spiritual mode and you feel like you're the only one left in all of Northside. That hasn't had an encounter with him. Your encounter is your encounter. And to be thinking on him and frustrated with him, even, even the feeling of his absence is a sign of his presence. You wouldn't want to want God if he was not at work in your life, right? He's working. Take the anger, take the frustrations. Take all of that to him. He's a big God last time I checked. Remember, it's not the Mount Carmel things that he does. It's not the pillars of fire here. And as we finish, there was a great story by a great teacher. He told this story of a, of a rich man, a rich man and a poor man. And the poor man was his servant. And the rich man, uh, he just lived a life of all. So it, was a, it was a story. Lived this gorgeous, incredible life and caught up in and of himself and and the rich man goes down, um, he goes down to hell and the, the poor man goes up to heaven. And in between that is this guy called Abraham. He was one of, the, one of the great legends and heroes of the Bible. And the rich man, in this deep despair, calls up to Abraham back on earth and says, please, please, will you just tell my friends about what is happening here on the other side? If you could just do that, relay a message to them, then that is all that is needed. And Abraham says to him, a fascinating statement, Hey, he says, even if somebody came back from the dead, that's not going to change their hearts. They have Moses and the prophets. Sounds like a story I know. <laughs> a couple of thousand years ago. The true Elijah. The one who didn't call down the fire, but had the fire called down upon him. And he comes back. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to a couple of hundred people at that time and to this day, even a man back from the dead won't change their hearts. It means I can't, your friends can't, you can't engineer this God encounter. It's a mystery. And frankly, it's why I do what I do. If we could engineer an encounter for you, this would be some weird pyramid selling scheme, but it's not. Even if a man came back from the dead, it's not going to change their hearts. Only until you eventually get into this thing. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, will you hear the God of the whisper. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.